The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. I'm so grateful that today we still have the New Testament ministry of the prophet. However, there are many professing believers or traditional churchgoers who deny the existence of prophets in today's world. They believe that prophets were confined to the times of the Bible. Yet, there's evidence for the ongoing ministry of prophets clearly documented in the New Testament. And today, we want to encourage the ministry of the New Testament gift of prophecy and consider how it builds up and edifies the body of Messiah. Shalom, I'm Christine Darg. Do biblical prophets still exist today? The ministry office of the prophet is one of five ministry offices listed in Ephesians 4.11. Let's look at those categories mentioned by St. Paul. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. The New Testament never stated that the office of the prophet would be withdrawn or that it would just fade away. Rather, according to Ephesians 4.12, the ministry of prophets will continue to exist throughout the church age, along with apostles, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Paul wrote that these gifts are to equip the saints for the work of ministry and building up the body of Messiah. The great theologian John Calvin defined a prophet as an announcer or an interpreter of the will of God. I like that. Although the gift of prophecy is sometimes misused by immature believers and certainly is counterfeited by false prophets, nevertheless, the church must heed the Apostle Paul's admonition not to despise prophesying. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 20 and 21, Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Perhaps at Thessalonica, false prophets had tried to pervert the truth, or perhaps immature believers had abused the gift of prophecy. But Paul warned us to guard against attitudes of contempt for a grace God has given for the edification, exhortation, and comfort of believers. Furthermore, Scripture admonishes us to test spiritual gifts. So instead of rejecting prophecies outright, we're supposed to test them by exercising spiritual discernment and allowing other prophets to judge their content. God just gives us that liberty to speak forth His mind. 1 John 4.1 instructs believers to test the spirits, whether they are of God. Enthusiastic verbal outbursts are neither to be despised nor accepted blindly as infallible revelations. You see, it's possible to quench the Spirit and even to insult the Spirit of grace by ridiculing the prophetic gift, which is listed among other gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We can't despise a gift that God continues to honor. The Apostle Paul noted in 1 Corinthians 12, that chapter concerning the gifts of the Spirit, 
that prophesying is more important than other gifts of the Spirit, and therefore the gift of prophecy should be coveted. Think about that. Rather than despising, we must learn to develop and to esteem genuine prophetic words. Spoken under the unction of the Holy Spirit, a prophetic word is creative and serves to activate situations that are invisible or fledgling or need a breakthrough. There's power in the prophetic word to encourage us when it's spoken in a moment of dire discouragement or perplexity. Like the written word of God, a genuine prophetic word can sustain us for days, months, or even years until a promise comes to pass. The Holy Spirit is the one who imparts vision. And the ministry of the prophet helps to build up that vision by words of edification, direction, exhortation, and comfort. Prophetic activity sheds light and creatively speaks confirmation into a believer's calling, perhaps bringing clarity to a vision that's still germinating. So I want to mention some examples from the Bible, from my own life, and the lives of other believers. You see, without the vital ministry of the prophet and the gift of prophecy, the scope of my vision for ministry would have been lessened. For example, when my husband and I were considering to move to Jerusalem, I knew in my spirit that surely God would have us first to go to the city of the great king, God's city. But my husband was also seeking the Lord for guidance. One night we visited a church service where we were totally unknown. The preacher, whom I later learned was one of our generation's most gifted prophets, called out my husband to come forward publicly. And the minister prophesied to him in a loud voice words from Psalm 137. If I forget thee, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget her cunning. If I do not remember thee, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. If I prefer not Jerusalem above my chief joy. Well, the prophet didn't know anything about us or our dilemma. We were total strangers to him. Psalm 137 was a definitive word about Jerusalem that gave us very targeted direction to our ministry. At the beginning of my ministry, many times I received prophetic words that much intercession should precede my public ministry. One person prophesied that although I'd asked God for a certain field, Israel, God also had many more nations in mind that in fact, he intended a global scope for our ministry through the medium of television. Also, upon meeting me for the first time and knowing absolutely nothing about me, a man of God began to prophesy as I came through his front door that I would broadcast the gospel over satellite television and from the Mount of Olives. In the beginning of our ministry, that indeed happened just as the prophet prophesied, fulfilling a vision that seemed impossible to me, and yet it happened, and the prophetic word helped to study me and to believe God for it. And here's an important point. A prophet or a prophetess not only can give a prophetic word, but also a prophetic picture. For example, a gentleman in the UK who operated in the gift of prophecy sent me a letter saying he had experienced a vision of me surrounded by Asians 
wearing Asian garments. Years later, his prophetic picture was fulfilled when I began to preach in conferences and on television in India. From time to time, prophets prophesied over my life that I would minister to large crowds in nations, and the faith of these prophets helped to shore up my own faith that God would bring the resources and details to pass. Consider the power of the prophetic word in the life of one of our mentors, the late German evangelist Reinhard Bonnke, the apostle of evangelism to Africa. Two prophetic words helped to strengthen his vision to evangelize Africa. When Reinhard was a young boy in a prayer meeting at his father's church, a woman stood up and prophesied that she'd seen a vision of a boy breaking the bread of life to multitudes of Africans in a circle. Then dramatically, she pointed to Reinhard and said, and this is the boy that I saw. Well, he never forgot that prophecy. It went deep into his spirit and helped to cement his vision to preach the gospel from Cape Town to Cairo. Many years later, when conducting his first mass evangelistic rally in a circular stadium, Reinhard saw fulfilled before his eyes what had been prophesied and imparted to his spirit when he was a child. Similarly, as a missionary evangelist in Africa, going from strength to strength, Reinhard received a prophecy that he would smash through iron gates. It was a word that hit the target in his spirit, and many times he quoted that prophecy to strengthen his own resolve to reach the African continent and to explain the scope of his vision. Well, the New Testament prophet clarifies, interprets, or adds muscles and flesh to the general framework of a person's vision. According to Vine's Expository Dictionary of New Testament Words, prophecy and prophesying derive from a Greek word which signifies the speaking forth of the mind, the will, and counsels of God. That's why biblical-style prophecy is not fortune-telling, nor does it necessarily mean just a prediction of the future. Rather, biblical-style New Testament prophesying is the supernatural declaration of information about the past, present, or future. The gift of biblical-style prophecy has the connotation of inspirational speech given spontaneously by the Holy Spirit. Thus, it can carry a higher anointing than conventional teaching. One of the most anointed meetings I've ever preached was in Rajasthan, India, where I had planned to teach, but instead, by the anointing of the Holy Spirit, I began to prophesy about the Lord's love and plans for His people. And the prophecy went on for at least 45 minutes. That type of spontaneous anointing can never be manufactured. On several occasions in Jerusalem, I had planned to teach or preach, but instead, by inspiration, I prophesied the entire message. Now, a controversial question that usually surfaces, are women authorized by God to preach and to prophesy? If the Apostle Paul literally meant that women should keep silent in the churches, then why did he give instructions to women about prophesying in church? According to his understanding of spiritual protocol, 
In 1 Corinthians 11.5, he wanted women to wear a head covering when prophesying. But the point is, he did not forbid women from prophesying. Furthermore, those who claim that women can't teach and preach should take note that the ministry office of prophet has its female counterpart in the Bible. In the New Testament, the title prophetess is used in Luke 2.36 to describe Anna, an elderly woman who ministered in the temple. And in Acts chapter 21, four daughters of Philip the Evangelist were described as prophetesses. So what's the difference between prophets in the Hebrew Bible and in the New Testament? Well, in the New Testament, according to 1 Corinthians 13.9, believers prophesy in part, meaning our inspired messages are only partial, whereas prophets in the Hebrew Bible had to be 100% accurate or they would be stoned to death. In Hebrew, there's more than one word for prophet, and each word sheds light on the continuing role of prophets in our midst today. The Hebrew word nabi referred to an inspirational speaker, a preacher of righteousness, and is the most common term in the Hebrew Bible to designate a prophet, used over 300 times. Also in the Hebrew Bible, a prophet was sometimes called a seer, a visionary who perceived the mind, purposes, and counsel of God. The gift of prophecy is mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12 as a gift which any believer potentially is entitled to exercise by faith under the unction of the Holy Spirit. Certainly no man appoints himself to be a prophet of God. No woman unilaterally decides to become a prophetess. The office of the New Testament prophet is mentioned in Ephesians 4, 10, and 11 is a ministry gift in the church appointed by the ascended Messiah. So not every believer is a prophet, but every believer can prophesy by faith. However, the person who stands in the ministry office of a prophet will prophesy with a much greater magnitude, authority, anointing, and a greater frequency than a believer who is not a prophet. The New Testament prophet is usually aided by other revelatory ministry gifts, such as the discerning of spirits, words of knowledge and wisdom, and the gift of faith. You see, without the gift of faith, it would be impossible to prophesy with any degree of magnitude. Faith is required because sometimes a prophet will have a strong sense that God wants to speak, and so by faith he or she will begin to speak inspirationally. But that means they have to be willing to step out and to begin, and it takes faith to operate like that. Since the ministry office of the prophet can be controversial, we have to ask, what prophet is the prophet? Some false prophets have shamefully made profit of the flock of God. But the genuine prophet greatly benefits the body of Messiah. For example, before the Armenian genocide, there was a prophecy that trouble was coming and believers must leave. Many Armenians escaped by migrating to the United States. The Armenian prophecy was given in a letter in 1852 by a boy prophet who saved many Armenians with his warnings. The prophecy was shared in the testimony of Demas Shakarian in a book by John and Elizabeth Sherrill, printed in 1975. 
I remember reading that book. The account is a strong warning to heed the word of genuine prophets. New Testament prophets are profitable because vision is so vital. Without vision, people perish, according to Proverbs 29:18, And it could also be said, without the ministry of prophecy to nurture and enlarge vision, a ministry could be deficient. Without the encouragement and exhortation of the prophetic gift, many of us would not advance. Let's look at how the gift of prophecy worked, for example, in the life of Saul of Tarsus. When he encountered the risen Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus, he was blinded by light. Saul, who became the Apostle Paul, was healed of his blindness and filled with the Spirit through the ministry of a brave disciple named Ananias in Damascus. The Lord instructed Ananias to minister the laying on of hands to Saul. And that took faith because Saul was known as a dangerous persecutor of the church. But Ananias obeyed. And in Acts 9.15, Ananias prophesied that Saul was God's chosen instrument to proclaim the Lord's name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. What a word! Wouldn't we all like such an exalted word spoken over our lives? But wait, Ananias continued to prophesy that the Lord said, And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So the prophetic word was both glorious and a forewarning. Forewarnings are important because when hardships happen, the prophetic word becomes an explanation, a comfort, and a reassurance, enabling the minister, the believer, to persevere. Before my husband Peter and I were sent to Israel to pioneer a news bureau for God, we were in a prayer meeting in the United States where a prophetess began to weep and wail and travail, describing how much we would suffer. In those days, I was very eager to go, and I was surprised by her sudden behavior. But it was important information. When trials happen, God had already forewarned us and assured us of his presence and calling. Not only was Paul given a singularly glorious word about his mission, but the prophecy through Ananias in Damascus at the very beginning no doubt strengthened him during his later catalog of immense trials listed in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, including scourgings, stonings, and shipwreck. Now here's a very important point. We must appreciate and never forget that a prophetic word can be creative, calling things that be not as though they exist, and then they'll come to pass. By the same method, God spoke the worlds into existence. God commanded the prophet Ezekiel to speak to the dry bones of Israel, and they came together and lived. We also understand how the prophetic word creates vision by studying Gideon in the book of Judges. Gideon didn't have a good self-image. In Judges 6.15, he said, Behold, my family is poor, and I'm the least in my father's house. Yet God chose him to defeat the Midianites. And how was Gideon transformed from a mediocre man into a commander? 
Well, a prophecy from the angel of the Lord recreated him. The angel said, the Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. Gideon thought, who me? Yet he never forgot those powerful, affirming words that he was a mighty man of valor. So hear me, this is why the words that we utter over our children and over one another are so important. They're either creative or destructive. Once the Holy Spirit breathes a positive word over you, you'll never be the same. In the Bible, Joshua's vision was enlarged and encouraged by the prophetic exhortations of his predecessor, Moses. And the Apostle Paul imparted a spiritual gift and vision over his spiritual son, Timothy, through the laying on of hands, just as Moses had blessed Joshua. The prophetic word and prophetic actions and their circumstances are often dramatic, stamping an indelible impression on a person's spirit. This helps us to believe God, that what has been spoken will surely come to pass. In the Bible, David never forgot the moment when he was singled out from his older brothers and anointed with oil by the imposing prophet Samuel to be the future king of Israel. The magnitude of such a prophetic action coming from Samuel, whom the people feared, surely imparted vision and willpower for David to endure long years of preparation, suffering, and rejection at the hand of Israel's first king, Saul. A prophecy should never contradict God's word in the Bible, but it should reinforce it. Let's examine how the prophetic word created vision and confirmation in the life of Mary, the mother of Jesus. God granted Mary many prophetic words on several occasions through the messenger angel Gabriel, through her cousin Elizabeth, through the leaping baby John the Baptist in Elizabeth's womb, through the prophets Simeon and Anna in the temple, and through the visit of the wise men who came from the east to worship the child born as king of the Jews. The wise men's gifts of gold spoke of Jesus' kingship. Their gift of frankincense prophesied his high priestly anointing, and their gift of myrrh spoke of the Lord's death and burial. Think of the importance of these prophetic words and actions in the life and ministry of Mary. Surely, Mary would need to be a strong woman of vision to exercise parental authority over Jesus. Imagine the reassurance, the deep joy and clarity brought to Mary's mind when her cousin Elizabeth prophesied in Luke 2.45, Blessed is she that believes, for there shall be a performance of those things told her from the Lord. Even the prophet Simeon's somber word to Mary that a sword would pierce through her own soul must have been recalled to help explain her deep anguish at the cross of Jesus. Simeon's forewarning helped to prepare Mary to endure unspeakable suffering. In perplexing times when we go through the valley of tears, such a word as Simeon's prophecy will be remembered, helping us to realize that God sees and foreknows all of our sufferings and has eternal purposes in mind for us. We realize that our circumstances are not happening by accident but that the Lord is sovereign, bringing good out of our sorrow, sending sunshine after rain and joy in the morning. When times get tough, 
and we want to quit, we remember the prophetic words that have been spoken prophetically over our lives. And like David in the Bible, we encourage ourselves in the Lord. 1 Samuel 36 records that David was greatly distressed because his men were talking of stoning him. But rather than sinking into despair, David encouraged himself in the Lord, remembering all that God had promised him about his future as king. So now, when the murderer, the devil, tries to take our lives prematurely, we should proclaim, no, there are yet unfulfilled purposes and prophecies spoken over my life. And like Paul, we purpose not to be disobedient to the heavenly vision God has given us. We're going to finish our work. It's very important that we keep a record of all visions and prophetic words that pertain to our ministry, to our family, children, businesses, whatever the case may be. And it's important to review these words regularly to encourage ourselves in the Lord. That's one way we overcome the enemy. Revelation 12:11 teaches that we overcome Satan by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. In my own life and the life of my family, the prophetic word has been an essential ingredient to divine guidance and vision. Angels appeared both to my grandmother and my mother, giving them words of assurance in times of uncertainty. And I want to encourage you by saying, as you seek the Lord every day in fellowship with strong believers, you can expect the same level of guidance. Amen. In 1 Corinthians 14.1, Paul wrote, Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Our Lord and Master Jesus himself moved continually in the gift of prophecy. And here's just one example. Mary of Bethany anointed Jesus with expensive oil. His disciples rebuked her for wasting oil, but Jesus said she had done a good work anointing him for his burial. And Jesus prophesied that her story would be told wherever the gospel was preached. The fact that I'm mentioning it right now continues to fulfill Jesus' prophecy. Also in Luke 21, 24, Jesus prophesied that the Holy Land would be dominated for a long period of time by the Gentiles. He also prophesied that his Jewish nation would be scattered and persecuted, but that his nation would survive and once again enjoy self-rule at the conclusion of the times of the Gentiles. That prophecy is surely coming to pass and we are eyewitnesses. It's my prayer that this program on the role of New Testament prophecy has been helpful. Just know that God has never withdrawn his spiritual gifts. They're available by faith to all true believers. But having said all of that, God's best gift is still the free gift of eternal life. When we put our trust in the atonement of the Lord Jesus, the Lamb of God, we exchange our sins for His righteousness. He covers our sins with His blood. Jesus is the world's only Savior. I urge you to put your trust in Him today and forever. In the meantime, if you have any questions about the topic we've discussed today, you can contact me on the social media or at our website, exploits.tv. We also publish a free ministry magazine called Exploits, 
with articles about healing, deliverance, Bible prophecy. There's also a 24-7 library of our video teachings at the website where you can learn details of our teaching and mentoring convocations. And please download our free Jerusalem Channel app from your app store. It has information about our videos, our eBooks, and a Bible reading plan. Well, until next time, always contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem, I'm Christine Dark. Shalom and Maranatha.